Good morning. BJ was supposed to preach today, but he got a message this week that they're closing Calcasco Cool next week, and so he his after-school thing is in Rapid City, so he thought he was going to throw a bunch of stuff together, and it turned out he didn't, because Rapid City is still going to be open next week, but Calcasco Schools are closed for gathering. So he called me and said, hey, can you preach? I was supposed to preach next week, and he said, can you do it this week? So I got more time to get things ready, and that turned out he didn't have to, but that's okay. So this morning, we're going to talk about Romans fifteen thirteen, but I want to set it up with some verses, because as we look at the Bible, we try to take the whole balance of Scripture, right? We don't just take one Scripture and form a, a doctrine or a theology out, but we look at the whole thing. One thing I haven't heard talked about And maybe it's because I wasn't in seminary. Maybe it's because I don't read enough. But I'm going to go through a couple verses, and we've gone through them before. But it's out of God's passion for us that Scripture came, right? And yet, if we view the Word of God in any other basis, we come to the Word, we come wrong, because these verses I'm going to talk about, which is God's fathering. And we'll just do, get through those rather quickly so we can get to the other verse I want to get to today. So he, God, chose us in him, being Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption and to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So what does this say about life? Why do human beings exist? Why is there an earth? What is the whole basis, the whole foundation for all of this? Was there just a big bang and earth appeared and then one cell turned into two cells? And I don't know how the first cell got there. And pretty soon we're monkeys and then we're humans. And God who sat in heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is unlimited in their creative thinking, unlimited in their creative power, can just speak things into being. Like, have you went out and counted the stars lately? Psalm 147 says that God counts the stars and he knows them by their name. It's that God that's had the unlimited ability to create everything, anything he wanted to. He chose to create us. He chose to create human beings. Why? So he could kick us around, so he could laugh at us, so he could be mean to us like I used to think he was, just wait for us to make a mistake, and he could woof and sit in heaven and enjoy it. Is that what God's about? He chose us in him. Now, when he says it chose us, I think when he chose to make human beings, I think he knew everybody instantly throughout history. There's enough in the Bible that makes it sound like that's what happened with him. And his mind is so big and he can understand all of that. Whereas to us, it blows us away. I have trouble with people I know. So he chose us before the creation. The word of God starts before the creation. Theology starts before creation. And the purposes of God were before creation. So when we read the word of God, we have to read it with the foundation and the understanding Why did God create mankind and why did God create the earth? And if we don't do that, then we're going to misinterpret Scripture. See, there's a reason Leviticus is in the Bible. It's full of rules and regulations. It's Old Testament. It was so people would see we're not good enough to please God. 
we're going to mess it up. James said, if you fail in one point of the law, you fail in the whole thing. So I can be 99.9% perfect, but that 0.1% makes me a sinner. And I need a Savior. Now, just to be honest with you, there's more than 0.1 in my life that's imperfect. So... So he created us in the world to be holy. What is holy? Well, I used to think holiness was the absence of sin in my life. But holiness is to belong to, to be set apart unto. I am set apart unto God. I'm not the world's anymore. Another meaning of the word is not common. I'm not common here anymore. I'm weird. I try to see heavenly things and and be with a heavenly father. I talk to God. How weird can you get? See, the world doesn't get that. That's because we're not like them. We're uncommon. The world's answers don't work for us anymore. We look at what the thing is with COVID, and there's a difference between us and the world in living in an age of COVID. I've never once lost my peace over COVID because I hear what the Father says and I do what the Father says and I had it too and I had it with with uh, scarred lungs. I should have been one of those. I got the age on my side. I got the scarred lungs on my side. I should have been in the hospital fighting for my life but I rest on him. That is not to knock any other Christian who died from it. Okay? I'm not knocking, I'm just saying what God has done for me. To be holy in his sight and blameless. To be blameless means you don't have any blame. You don't carry any blemishes. You don't have defects. It goes back, this wording goes back to the Passover lamb. And we'll run across it again this morning. That Jesus was without blemish and spot. He did not have a sin on him. Second Corinthians 5.21 He who had no sin was made to become sin for us. That means every sin that was ever committed by the human race, Jesus took to the cross and paid for it. That includes mine. So that we could become the righteousness of God. So I could live in right standing with God. When God looks on me, he sees perfection. When you look at me, you don't see the perfection God sees. My wife sometimes has trouble understanding that. Just ask her about it, she'll tell you. In love. When did this take place? Before the creation of the world? In love. God was already moving in love. Not in anger. Not ready to beat you down. He didn't look ahead in the 2021 and say, all right, there's Millie. I want to smack her good because she's going to sin. I can't wait for that day to get here. No, he just punished her with five boys, that's all. In love, before the world was created, he predestined us, or he started to draw us into him to the adoption of sons, or the sonship, through Jesus Christ. So why were we created? So we can be sons, right? The whole reason there's an earth here today, and solar systems, and galaxies is because God wanted you to be his. He could have chose myriads of other things that we can't even imagine, but he could. He chose us. Has everything to do with your identity. In accordance with his pleasure. He takes pleasure in us. This almighty God. Instead of taking anger, and he does get angry, okay, and there is judgment. There is a price that had to be paid for sin. 
But Jesus took it for us. When we receive Jesus, there's no more punishment for us because Jesus bore our punishment. There's no more condemnation because Jesus took all the condemnation. That's why I get excited about him. That's why I fall in love with him. That's what changes my behaviors. Not the threat that the church puts on me or another person puts on me or I think God's going to put on me. So, man, if I sin, this is going to come and get me and the punishment's horrible. I don't want to do that. No, it's because I'm loved. And I'm loved so well that sin gets in the way of that love expressing itself to me. It was in his pleasure and his will. Why did God make the choice? Because it brought him pleasure. The will is your choice, right? But with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish, and before this he's talking about how Christ redeemed us, a lamb without blemish or defect, you go back to Passover and the lamb they brought in the house to kill that night and sprinkle the blood on the doorpost so the angel would pass over, had to be without blemish and spot. It was a type of Jesus being without blemish and spot. You and I are spotted. We're blemished. We got faults. Jesus didn't have it. He was chosen before the creation of the world. How much pleasure did God think about when he created us? The pleasure of his thoughts about us in creation led him to ask Jesus to come and die for us, his only son. See, that's what Scripture flows out of. That's what Scripture's all about. It's about this God that loved us so much and knew the cost. It wasn't like he was surprised by it when we sinned. He knew it was coming, and Jesus was already chosen to pay that price, which included separation from the Father, included bearing our sins, So when Jesus bore our sins, he never experienced anything like that before. It was the opposite of who Jesus is. The Father turned away from Jesus. Jesus experienced the forsaking. God, God in a a way, experienced that because Jesus was so covered with sin. Chosen before the creation of the world. It's what Scripture comes out of. It is the birthing of Scripture, this love of God. There's a couple others. We'll hit one more today about it, but in a little different thing. Okay, we all read Scripture, right? And all of a sudden, a verse jumps out of us, out at us that we've read before and it's never paid any attention to it. I do my Bible reading at night, and I came across this verse one night. It was hard to get to sleep. How many times did I read it? I don't know. But I love this verse. So we're going to talk about hope and trust for a little bit, bathed in the fact that God loves us. See, I can trust God when I know his love for me. If I don't know his love for me, I won't trust him. It's the same with people. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Anybody in here like joy and peace? It's what I live my life by, and no one can steal it from me. Used to know this lady, and heard it other places too, but she said, oh, they stole my peace, or oh, they stole my joy. And it's like, no, they can't steal it from you. Nobody takes your joy and peace away except it's your choice to let it go. Because joy and peace is from here and is from the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't stop giving you joy and peace. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Romans fourteen seventeen. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. We've already talked about those today, haven't we? Righteousness, peace, and joy. There's no enjoying peace without righteousness. 
People are given to all kinds of addictions today because they're trying to find joy and peace, and they can't find it. People give themselves to religion today, trying to find joy and peace, dead religion, and they can't find it because it's in the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus. How do we come upon joy and peace? As we trust him. So that you may overflow with hope. Not just that you have some hope in you. But that you're overflowing in hope. And may I say, maybe even overflowing with hope in the darkest times of life. When things aren't going right and it's tough, tough and you're pushing through and you're tired and you're weary. The hope has not diminished by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about hope a little bit. There's in the English, the way we use English in our culture, there's all different kinds of hope, isn't there? I hope by the time I see you next week, I got $20 million in my bank account. That's the way we use it, right? How much assurance do I have about that hope? Well, next to nothing. I hope the Detroit Tigers this year play 500 baseball. They win 81 games, they lose 81 games. How much hope do I have for that? A little more than the 20 million in the bank, but not a whole lot more. They're rebuilding, things are tough, but they're getting better. I hope I'm going to heaven when I die. Completely different kind of hope. The biblical hope, there's all kinds of different names for it. The one I like is the assured expectation. See, I don't have much assurance about the expectation of the Tigers playing 500 baseball. Or the $20 million I got less assurance of. But eternal life, I have assurance of it because it's already in me doesn't start when we die, people. It starts when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I'm already eternal. When you're looking at me, you're looking at an eternal being. You're just seeing this outside body that's getting old and going to fall off. But the inside of me, the spirit and the soul, are for eternity. We put hope in people. What happens when we put hope in people? Sometimes it works out good. Other times it turns out to be disaster. Right? Look at the divorce rate today in America. When they got married, they had high hopes. Broken expectations. We hope in our government. Broken expectations. We put our hope in people who we really respect. Broken expectations. We put hope in things. We put hope in comfort and pleasure to fulfill our needs and to satisfy us. I'm not preaching against comfort and pleasure. But when we get it out of balance and it becomes our hope, what happens? We're broken. I worked all my life to grab this. You know, growing up, I heard about these golden years. Okay? I believed it back in, when I was a teenager. Golden years are great. Let's go get it. Man, I'm there now. They're the rust years. The body's starting to fall apart. You can give me all the money in the world you want. I want my health. Okay? I want to walk back to a waterfall that's a mile back in the woods. And go get it. Instead of sitting down. We went to Clingman Dome last year. It's in the Smoky Mountain National Park. And it's uphill. For about a half a mile or a little more. And they got benches every so far. They knew rent was coming. And they stuck the benches in. Because these scarred lungs I have. I don't have the endurance like I used to have. And I'd walk. And it's down. Sit for a little bit. Chris was with me. You ready old man? It's like well we're getting there. 
It's not like it was in the old days. Ask the one about going waterfalling with me. So even hope for health is not assured. Now we have the blood of Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross, his stripes, that I lean heavy on, and I talk to my lungs a lot about your healed in the name of Jesus. It hasn't manifested yet. So we overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What happens when hope is broken in people, in things? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When your heart is sick, where's the peace and the joy? Broken expectations. Where's the joy and where's the peace? Maybe we're hoping in the wrong people, in the wrong things. But a longing or a hope fulfilled is the tree of life. The tree of life is living. That's joy and peace. That's excitement. That's like hard to go to sleep at night because life is so full and so good. But you know you need your rest because tomorrow's another day coming. The tree of life. Here's another hope that gets deferred. God speaks to us. And he tells us what our assignment in life is. And we get all excited about it. We think by this time next year it's going to happen. What we don't No, and God didn't tell us, but if we read Scripture and we know God and know character issues, we know there's a long walk before we get there. But because we invaded God's dream for us, and we set an appointed time that wasn't His, our expectations are broken. God's promised you you're going to get married someday, and you're 32 now. Come on, God, getting old. You know, I dreamed of revival happening by now, the great harvest happening by now. Hasn't happened yet, but I'm looking forward to start today. Now, I can be broken over that, or I can know God's faithful, and Brent's understanding of things needs to correspond with God's faithfulness. Instead of Brent thinking he knows everything. Because Brent's going to live here 70, 80, 90 years. That's my perspective. God's perspective started before the world was created. And will go on forever. There's no beginning, no end. And I try to counsel God with my understanding. I am but a grain of sand in the universes and the galaxies. Okay, I'm learning to keep my mouth shut and listen. Rather than tell him how to do it. I know I'm the only one that has that issue, though, so we won't spend time there today. To them, and it it would be good to go back and read all the text tucked around these, because, but we don't have time to do that today. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of mystery. Okay, there was a mystery. People didn't get it. God kept things hidden. But he revealed that mystery that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Don't think of glory as just after you die. Okay? Glory's now. The choice is yours. You can live a glorious life now in spite of what you're going through. Or you can live and I'm glorious the life in the best of circumstances. That's all what happens in here in your communion with God. It's our choice. That doesn't mean things are easy, and that doesn't mean it's easy to make that choice. But it's ours. We Americans have got so spoiled and soft that any little thing that comes against us, we whine and complain. There's whining and complaining in the church today about the persecution we're going through as a church. And it's like, yeah, persecution's growing. But come on, people. The most they say of you is be careful for those Christians, you know. 
Let's get over it and grow up. Titus 1-2. And these are not all hope verses that I have. I mean, the, the word has, there's a ton of verses about hope. I just chose a couple of them. This one because of the last part of it. In hope of eternal life. What's our hope? Part of our hope is eternal life. Assured expectation. That's why most people are here this morning or in church this morning. Is because there's an assurance that I'm living an eternal life right now. And if you aren't and you want to, you can today. You're not defined by time anymore. The hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised. When? Before the foundation, or before the beginning of time. When you were yet a thought in the Father's head. Before you physically existed. You already had a promise from God of eternal life. Before the world hung in space, you were already promised eternal life when your time came to live. If you would receive it from him. See, this hope starts before the world began. It's not just a recent 2,000 years ago hope thing. You getting stirred up a little bit yet? So may the God of hope. Why is he called the God of hope? Well, he's the source of hope. Hope flows from him. What God says is true. It's eternal. And God promised you eternal life. You were created to live eternal life. There's so many people out here today around us that, and even Christians, who live life in the context of 60, 70, 80 years They can't find purpose. They can't find identity because they don't have understanding of their God and what he has for us. See, one of the reasons I could relinquish being pastor of this church easily was because I knew my identity. I didn't need a title to make Brent Brent. So when God says, you need to start backing off, Brent, and it's time for the younger ones to go, and i got different stuff for you to do, I can do that. Because pastor doesn't mean identity to me. It means what I do. And so I get to live in freedom, joy, and peace doing that, rather than, oh man, I don't carry my title. Who am I now? I've pastored for so long, I don't know who I am. Well, if you're that way, buddy, you've got issues. Because you were talking about stuff you didn't understand. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is cool. I want you all to be happy. But joy is something that is a strength inside of you that you enjoy life. Regardless of outward circumstances. Happiness depends on outward circumstances. That's why when people die for Jesus, they die rejoicing, they die praising God, because it's joy in them. That's why James says in James 1, when you go through trials and tribulations, count it pure Joy, because you're being worked on on the inside to become like him. Murmuring and complaining used to be what I used to do. Until finally God started convicting me and showing me stuff. So the joy and the peace as we trust in him. The last 10 years of my life... The Lord has worked on in my life learning to trust. 
If you would ask me 10 years ago, do you trust God? I said, amen, yes, sir. But then God started doing some things in my life that showed where there was a lack of trust in him and a trust in Brent and a trust in the world and the way the world thinks. First was buying this building. The other church was full. I knew it was full, but I did not want to take on debt. And 440000 sounded like a lot of money to a little country boy who never had a lot of money. And I ran to the prophets to hear what they had to say, and God gave them nothing for me. He wanted me to walk this out by myself. So through the battles, we bought the church, and God gave us a miracle. We bought it for 440000 when they wanted insurance this building, they wanted us to insure it for a million and a half. So we got it for 30 cents on the dollar pretty well. He was teaching me trust. Now, I wanted to trust him for one big time, bring in the money, let's get it paid off, God. Instead, God says, no, you're going to learn to trust me every month to pay the mortgage for this place, plus all the other things the church has to pay for, plus giving money away. I'm going, God, that's a lot of money. Got to be God. So, then I went to a mission trip, came back with pneumonia, couldn't do much for four or five months, and I was a little depressed and angry. And one night, God spoke to me and said, I don't know what your problem is, Brent. You got my hand. You're walking with me. But God, I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know what the results of this are going to be. doesn't matter, Brent. You've got my hand. I'm with you. That's all you need to know. And he took me to a new level of trust where I didn't have to have answers. And when you don't have to have answers, then the scenarios quit in your mind of how we're going to get to the answer I've already picked out I want. Instead of listening to God, what his answer is in his timetable, which will never fit mine. But when he does it, it's done right. When I do it, we just put a band-aid over things and kept moving and hope that the band-aid would never come off. And we know better than that, don't we? We get rubbed and bumped in life and the band-aids come off. So what is trust? Trust is living life in peace and joy because you know your Heavenly Father loves you more than you could ever love yourself. He sees more than you could ever see. And he's all about you. But see, until we know He's all about us. We'll never get that trust. Amen? If I think the Father is holding back on me, which is exactly what Satan used at Eve in the garden, then I always have plan B and plan C to make my life work and turn out the way I want it to be. When I trust God, even when Satan throws things at me I didn't know were coming, God already knew it. The process of buying this building, we talked to the real estate people first, and they told us they would give us a a rate of a certain amount. And then when we moved further into progress, we talked to the finance people, and they said, oh, we could never do that. Their communication wasn't real good with each other. And I was a little upset because I'm tired of the games. And God, just like you didn't know, you didn't think I knew this was coming. Some disappointments happened in church, and this was after we got this building, and the money, it affected our money income, and I'm saying, God, what are we going to do about this? And God says, I don't know, Brent. I'm so surprised. Caught me off guard, too. I hope you got some ideas, Brent, so we can get through this thing. I love his sarcasm with me at times. And I said, okay, God, 
I'll just shut up now and rejoice in you because you got this figured out. That's the way we think, isn't it? Something turns and it's like, wow, where'd that come from? We're shocked and we don't understand. God knew this before the earth was created. Not a big deal. The love of the Father. That love that was there, we read about in Ephesians 1, before the world was created. There is no fear in love. What is fear? We all know fear personally, don't we? There's areas in our life where we experience fear. Worry, anxiety, stress. If you have a controlling nature to you, it's because there's some fear in there that you haven't tapped into yet. Satan gets us the fear that that our scenario is not going to come true, so we work hard to make it come true instead of just trusting God to work it out. How How much energy have I spent in my life creating scenarios to work things out and to bring it about when God wasn't there with me? And I prayed and I asked him, oh, God, help me, help me. And God's like, Brent, you help me and we'll make this thing work. There is no fear in love. So wherever there's anxiety and worry and stress in my life, that means there's some fear at work in me that I haven't recognized yet. Give God time. He'll bring you to the point where you recognize it. Perfect love drives out fear. It's light and darkness. Where the light is, the darkness isn't. If we shut those doors, cover the windows, turn off the lights, it's dark in here. But all I have to do is flip a switch and bam, there's light. It's the same way with God's love. You can be a fearful person, live your life in fear, but that perfect love of God, when you release it in your hearts, and you start living it, the fear dissipates and goes. And we usually do it a compartment at a time. Because fear has to do with punishment or torment. Torment is, to me, what I dreamed about. It's not coming true. My broken hope, expectations. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The one who is full of anxiety, worry, stress, and fears, is not made perfect in love. Now, wisdom and fear sometimes say the same thing. Right? but they come from a different place in our hearts. Wisdom will tell me, Brent, don't go up on this roof and jump off the side of it. That's wisdom. Fear will tell me, I can't even get on the roof. Love this verse. But those whose hope, whose assured expectations in the Lord, what's going to happen to them? They will renew their strength. What does fear do to you? Takes away your strength, right? Worry, stress will steal your your strength away from you. Hope brings you strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They won't be the chickens running around on the ground finding something to eat. They will soar. And the the stronger the storm, the higher the eagles can soar. But Brent, I don't like heights. Hey, there's a fear. Well, God holds you if you're not doing stupid stuff in the heights. Yeah. He's not created me to build skyscrapers and walk the beams. But he has called me not to stress out, 
in high places. And I've gone up on Copper Peak a couple of times in the Western UP just to take fear and put it in its place. I went up all the way up to the top. I looked down to the grades purposely walking up those stairs and say, I will not fear. God has got me. It's just something between me and God had to do that. Not telling you to do it. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Because you have hope. If you got fear, you can't run and not grow weary. You will grow weary. Too much of burnout in the church from its leaders are they've lost their hope and they got hope in other things. And it's a fight to get to the end. Whereas if it's God's work, you've just got to be obedient to God and rest in him. And he will bring about his work. Jesus lived a life of peace and rest. Because he was doing what his father was doing and he joined daddy in the work. Part of sonship. The Lord delights in those who fear him or reverence him. Who put their hope in his unfailing love. If you put your hope in his unfailing love, are you putting your trust in his unfailing love too? Yeah. The Lord delights in it. When you and I, whether it's the good times or whether it's the hard times, put our hope in him because his love never changes. It never fails us. Even though circumstances and situations look like God has left us and Satan's whispering to us saying, yeah, this God you love and you trust and he says he loves you so much, look at you now. Because all he sees is your life up till now. He hasn't seen the end of your life yet. But we who put our hope in his unfailing love even after you've sinned, even after you've fallen down for the fourth time today, you start getting back up and his unfailing love picks you up and carries you forward. How can you not respond to that kind of love? It makes you want to be his more. It makes you want to have more of him in you. It makes the John 15, abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in me. I hunger for more and more of that. The John 6, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. The spiritual thing of that is I take these little detours and I get disgusted with myself. What would you do that for, Brent? You knew what the end of it was. Here we go again, starting over. Take me, God. People, we hear the story going around the mountain, and people go around the mountain for years and go around the mountain again for years, and God invites them to make a change, and they're too afraid to make the change. They don't trust him enough, and so all their life they circle the same things. They come to the place of fighting the same fight before them, and they reject the fight that, and they go around the mountain and around the mountain, and they never learn, and then they get jealous of other Christians who have joy and peace in their life. Why do they get to have it and not me? Because they confronted some things in their life with God. And they learned to trust God greater in meeting those things. Dead on. And the one fight we all fight is there's a lot of self and self-centeredness and selfishness in me. We all fight it. God's after that. Because he knows your potential to be a lover and to show him to others by your love. Not by the way you dress, although that's important. These things are important I'm talking about, but they're not primary. The way you act, 
when I go down the road and somebody pulls out in front of me, I have a choice. I can act like Brent or I can act like God. Nobody knows the difference but me and God. And God's been working on me with that one now for about 30 years. Now, when Di's in the car, I don't need God there, okay? She'll keep me straight. In fact, she'll warn me about that guy before he ever pulls out in front of me. So I offer you this morning hope. Not in man, not in comfort and pleasure, not in anger, not in being the most outwardly righteous person there is in Kalkaska, not by having your life all together, because that's God's job to help you get your life together. You say yes to him, but you don't have to figure out how to do it. You need to start hearing him and being the word of God and letting the word of God speak to you. And let that hope arise in you and know that it's just as true for anyone in here as it is for the ultimate one in here. There's no difference. God offers hope to all of us. It's the same hope. It's eternal life starting today. Forget the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the money, the sports, the whatever it is, the comfort, the pleasure, it's God that's our hope. That's what brings us forth. And, and listen, we're going to go down the valley of the shadow of death. We are going to walk down that valley, and it's not going to be pretty, and it's going to be scary. It's going to happen in all of our lives. But how close to the shepherd are you going to stay? Because here, he's where you're safe. Jeremiah 17, Bree talks about it a lot. There's pictures in there of the man who trusts God. The man who trusts in man is like a bush in the desert. It's fighting for its life. It never gets very tall. It never spreads very wide. It gets very little foliage on it. It's constantly like an orphan just trying to make it till tomorrow. But the one who trusts in God is like the tree planted by the river. Its leaves never wither. Hot times come. It comes to both the bush in the desert and the tree beside the water. Hot, sweltering hot for long periods of time. Drought comes both to the bush and to the tree. The tree's leaves do not wither what happens to the bush. That's the choice this morning for us. Even being Christians, we can be like the bush in the desert. Yes, we've named the name of Jesus, and we do a little following him, but when things get beyond what I can trust him with, I pull back, and I stay a bush. And then I look at the tree and say, why is life so good for them? Life is not good for them. They handle it differently. They got the same heat and the same drought you got. They've just grown their roots in a different place than what you have. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, it amazes me that you don't see us as hopeless. But you too put hope in us. And yes, there's much disappointment that lives within you because of people who reject you and walk away from you. Because you loved them too before the world was created. And you dreamed of them. And you've offered them the same hope that you've offered us. They've just rejected us. The cry of our heart Holy Spirit is for you to come and to identify the fears in us where your love is not made perfect. Maybe even to teach us about your perfect love, the eternal love you have for us, the love that gives you pleasure, the love that gives you delight.
the love that allows us to trust in you, the hope of that love manifesting in us, bringing us joy and peace and overflowing in us, getting on other people because they spent time with us, because we're overflowing in that hope. So, Lord, I invite you to work in my life and bring about more of that overflow by the power of the Spirit. We invite you this morning to show us the blockages in our life of joy and peace, of not living out the hope, of not walking in trust with you. And, Lord, we know that the trust walking is a progressive thing as we spend more time with you. You take us through new places and and give us new hurdles to go over. You take us down the valley another time, and this time the the uh, enemies are bigger and louder. But we have you. We just take your hand and we walk with you. Because at the end of the valley, there is a table set before us in the presence of our enemies. They're not allowed to come to the table. It's just you. And we sit there and we feast in front of the enemies and they know their defeat and they see the hope and the trust that is all over me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. No longer am I a follower. I am a leader and mercy and grace chase after me. Regardless of my circumstances and my situation, You're awesome, God. You're awesome. We don't have words to tell you how awesome we think you are. Just take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to come and be active in your life in this area. Ask him for hope to reveal the hope to you and ask him to take you into deeper areas of trust. It's a scary thing, I know. But when you can ask God to take you to new areas of trust in him, it's showing the maturity of your understanding his fathering. We give you thanks for it, Lord. In Jesus' name.